welcome to Real Indigenous, where these Indigenous peoples get real about what's on our screen and everything in between. This week, we're chatting it up with Sierra Teller Ornelas and Janice Meeting from Rutherford Falls. So let's get on to it and let everyone introduce themselves. My name is Sierra Teller Ornelas. I am a member of the Navajo Nation. I am Edgewater, born for the Mexican people. I am also the co-creator and showrunner of Rutherford Falls. Hi, everyone. Janice Meeting. Uh, I'm Janice Meeting. Janice Meeting. I'm on Japi. I'm um, I'm Minakaju uh, and Sichangu Lakota, enrolled in the Cheyenne River Lakota Sioux Tread. And I play Regan Wells, and I'm a writer on Rutherford Falls. Uvala Luatak, Uvanga Angela Starts. I'm a Nupiak, and I'm one of the hosts of Real Indigenous. Hello, my name is Noetta Harjo. So thank you guys for being here. Thank you all for joining us. We're very excited that you're joining us. And we are ready to talk about all things Rutherford Falls. I understand that today it starts streaming in Canada. Yeah, so exciting. Anything you want to shout out to your Canadian followers? We have, I think we took the best of Canada. Just kidding. There's so much great parts of Canada, but we have so much Canadian talent on our show, including, of course, Michael Grays, Dustin Milligan, and Gunnadio Horn. Um, and we love, we love our friends from the North and hope they will check out the show as much as people down here have. We're all streaming multiple times in order to keep those numbers up. So, because we are all ready for season three. So let's talk a little bit about behind the scenes first. Um, you know, I know that you have a, a writing room that's half native and half non-native. How does that work when it comes to writing the native content? Pretty, I mean, I would say pretty well. <laughs> I can let Janet speak to this too, but yeah, I mean, I think like our show is sort of like a, I, season one was kind of like a teaching hospital, like some of the best writers rooms I've ever worked in. When I was a staff writer, there was like 10 staff writers in the room and then a bunch of like seasoned people who'd worked on a bunch of different shows. And I think that whether we had, you know, seasoned native writers and new native writers on our show, but it was sort of like people really genuinely felt free to kind of make mistakes and, and say what they felt. And it was really fun to kind of have different writing levels, different experiences. I think like working in a lot of writers rooms, you often will hear the same old stories. There's a lot of like Harvard guys and they kind of all have very similar backgrounds. And so I think it was like a really fruitful way to kind of tell a story where you had all these amazing native writers with these incredible perspectives. A lot of them came from different points of view of like poetry and spoken word and art and and then you had these like kind of like seasoned comedy writers that were just so excited to hear like different and new stories. And, and then I think collectively, I would say Jana is a great example of this. Um, we had so many native writers that grew up on like the comedy that some of the writers in our room had made. We had a lot of like SNL writers and things like that. And so there was that also just kind of like shared comedic language. So there were, I feel like a lot of different languages being spoken in that room. And then I think it all kind of weirdly worked out like I was not nervous but I think you never know the alchemy of a writer's room no matter what and the subject matter we were dealing with was very specific but it was really cool to feel camaraderie in a lot of different ways with the different writers in the room I don't know Jenna how did you feel because it was your first writer's room yeah I mean it was my my first writer's room um not my first experience writing comedy with a group oh. but like for sure like I, I think also something that's important to note is on our show, you know, we have 
a very diverse cast of characters. And so we needed a diverse room. We needed a room that wasn't just native people. Um, and we had a diverse room. We had uh, Latine uh, writers, we had Asian American writers, we had black writers, we had, and you know, at all different levels. And I think that that worked in our advantage because not only do I think that, um, non-white people are really good at writing whiteness, <laughs> are really good at like, you know, <laughs> making jokes and making comedy about whiteness. But I think that um, it's really the, the one of the cool benefits of our room was that um, whiteness was the minority in our room and that that made for sort of purposefully complicating the white storylines and making them what they are. And I I was really appreciative of that experience. I've never been in a professional working environment where I wasn't the minority, you know, like it, I, I, it just never felt like that to me. So for a first job in a writing room, I mean, first of all, getting a job in a writer's room is so rare anyway. I never thought that I would have that experience or get that opportunity in my life. So for a first time, to be able to do it and to be able to do it with Sierra and to be able to do it with Mike Shore and Ed Helms was wild. I have to say that I think of all of the shows that we've watched, it resonates the most with us because we grew up in those diverse neighborhoods, in those small towns. And the, my favorite thing about the whole thing is that there's no explanation. People just are there and they just interact with each other and they are themselves and they, they get to be who they are without all of the explanation that comes with it. And it's just one of my favorite things about it. Oh, thank so you so our, much for saying that. And so I guess you guys all grew up in those kinds of diverse neighborhoods. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in Tucson, Arizona, which is not like the smallest town, but is like every time I go home, I run into someone from high school. So it's like not a big town either. And, um, and going back home, my mom is, you know, from the Navajo nation, she's from the four corner area of New Mexico and small towns. And we used to go back and visit a lot. And I feel like one misconception about small towns is that they're not diverse. I think people still have this image of like Mayberry where it's like, everyone's white and there's a main street and, you know, and, and there's so many immigrants who move to small towns for specific reasons. There are indigenous people in those small towns. There are LGBTQ plus people in those small towns who stay and love that area. And while there is a lot of, I think, um, aggression and marginalization, there's also a lot of community and a lot of ways in which I think people might be politically closed-minded, but not with these specific people in the community, you know? And so we always wanted to really talk about small towns as we grew up with them or our understanding of them, which to me is much more diverse than I think people, like weirdly Tucson, we have a lot of people from the Middle East move there and from Africa because when they immigrate, they often want to go to places that have similar climates. So I grew up with a lot of people from different countries, which when you think of Arizona, you don't think of like international diversity, but no. weirdly like that was my experience growing up. And so I always wanted to tell a story of a small town that wasn't um, flattened or kind of simple. Jana, what about you? Where'd you grow up? Um, I grew up in a small town in Oregon. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm Plains native, but, um, and my family is as well. And I was definitely um, one of the only native people in my community growing up, but I was friends with a lot of, you know, um, first, second generation, you know, Asian American uh, kids of immigrants. And, um, you know, I grew up in a, a community with, a large population of, you know, 
farm workers and and you know politically active farm workers and you know I went to school with kids um from whose parents you know came here from Central South America and queer kids of color you know like we found each other in those spaces and and I also was raised in a very like um diverse sort of intertribal community in Oregon where there were a lot of transplants from the Midwestern tribes and even Southern tribes and also the, you know, Northern Cali and Oregon natives. So I grew up around a lot of Modoc, a lot of Klamath folks, a lot of Warm Springs folks, a lot of Yurok's and, uh, you know, still have those friendships with me today. That's awesome. And one more question before Noetta jumps in there. So how was it moving to a big city like LA from these small towns, has it been a big adjustment? Was it really scary to make that move? We have a lot of youth here in Oklahoma that, you know, want to break into stuff, but all of those family ties, it's hard to leave. How did you guys handle that? I was ready to go. I moved to New York from uh, college (laughs) and I lived there for 11 years. I was ready to go. I mean, my parents were (laughs) teachers in my small town. And my grandparents were like community members in the native community in Oregon. And so like, I sort of grew up under the, under the pressure of like having parents and adults who people knew. (laughs) And I (laughs) really, uh, (laughs) (laughs) trying to shake it off, lots of therapy. Um, but yeah, I, I moved to New York city and I was like, goodbye world. I'm going to Broadway. And then I became a teacher because I was too poor to be a so yeah, the I think I always advocate for young people who are itching to, you know, try something new to to, you know, try the city life, but I also firmly believe that like if that's not the thing for you and you're not enjoying it and you're not thriving in that environment, like get out of there. There's there's you know, there's somewhere for everyone and um I really found my my ambition and I found my motivation and I found like a creative community in New York city as a young adult. And I feel really blessed to have found that there, but that can exist anywhere. What about you, Sierra? I was like ready to go. I was always like, got to get out of Tucson, just like anything to get out of Tucson. Um, I was like, give me a one-way ticket literally anywhere. But then when I left, I lived in Washington, DC for many years. I worked for the Smithsonian's National Museum of American Indian. And then I lived in Chicago for a hot minute and it's, it's really exciting and scary. And, but I feel like it's, it was easier for people my age to go and just do it. I think it's, it's a lot harder for young people now, just with the, the economy and stuff. So I always want to like own my privilege of like, I moved to Chicago with one month's rent and like walked down a street and just applied at every single place and got a job at a Mexican restaurant. And like, had I not gotten that job, like I would not have made the next month's rent. So like, you know, I was really kind of like a no net dummy. Um, But weirdly coming back to LA, my whole family comes to visit. My couch is never empty. So like, I feel like I see my family so much more now living in Los Angeles because people love Disneyland and like the beach. (laughs) So I see everyone um, much more often out here. And it's only like, you know, like it's a 14 hour drive, but it's not that bad versus, or like a seven hour drive to Tucson versus like when I lived in DC, I felt like I was like marooned out there and it was like very lonely. And, but I even then found, you know, working at the museum and there are so many DC natives for, that work for different government agencies that I did find my own kind of a community out there as well and learned so much about different nations out there in a way that I don't think I would have if I just stayed in Tucson. 
I didn't really also start valuing home until I moved away. And so sometimes I think following that urge to kind of get out is like something I always kind of promote in the youth, but also not feeling bad if you want to go home, because I think you really start to appreciate the stuff that's around you when, when you don't have it, you know, easy access to it. Definitely. Definitely. And this community that you guys have built, um, I don't know if everybody is aware, but the two native the two big native uh, comedies, Rutherford Falls and, and, and Reservation Dogs share writers and actors. And um, yeah. that's something, you know, we, we, I see people on Reservation Dogs and I'm like, hey, that's from Rutherford Falls, you know? So um, that kind of camaraderie, you know, that's something that I guess that you, you definitely built over time. Um, but in sharing that talent, is, is that something that's easily manageable or do you find it, are you kind of like also like, taking ideas from each other and just kind of incorporating them into your show, you know, like this community is really, really neat. And I really love how you're, how, how it is shared, but, you know, just kind of explain that relationship a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, Sterling and I have known each other forever and, and he is such a dear human being. He's just good, good people. And, um, I remember we were developing our shows at the same time and we didn't know if they were going to get picked up. So I was like, well, if my show goes, I'll hire you. And he was like, well, if my show goes, I'll hire you. I was like, deal, you know, cause neither of us wanted deals at the time. And then they both went and I was like, shit. And like my show got picked up first. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, cause he was like, I can't go on your show because I have my own show. And I was like, and I think the real kind of like crab in a bucket thing would have just been to hold on to your writers and not, but he pitched people. He was like, there's this writer, Taza Chavez, like da, 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 da. Like he just started naming people and things, you know, cause he wanted to help. Cause I think we all, we all came after a time and I won't name any names, but there were a lot of, I think people who made prominent native media who did not pull people up. And if anything kind of held people back and were really about their own voice and about their own success. And I really feel like me and Serlin and Sydney Freeland and so many of the people who came after that generation were kind of a response to that. I think we're running water, running the Sundance program and kind of really creating this infrastructure of, of community. Um, you see Taika helping Serlin and you see Serlin helping Black Horse and all these you know filmmakers who I grew up programming as a film programmer in DC and seeing them now like all rise up and do such great things. I'm like so happy to be a viewer of Reservation Dogs <laughs> because I don't have to think about like the editing that went into it or the like writing or the like, oh God, I bet you it was raining on that day. Like I can just sit and enjoy it. Whereas with Rutherford Falls, I'm like, oh, if we've gotten one more take of that or, oh, I'm so glad that worked out. Or it's like, you know, so it's so nice just to be a native viewer, which is something I never thought like would happen. Um, and so, yeah. And so when, when we were casting, and then when we saw Reservation Dogs was casting, I definitely was like, hey, like everyone's open. Also because like how many opportunities do Native actors get? And I think what's so cool about seeing people like Jana and Kimberly Guerrero and 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 Devery on both shows is like you really get to see the range, like not to drop a name, but I'm friends with Barry Jenkins who directed Moonlight and it's a really like well-known director and um, no big deal. And he was texting, <laughs> he was like, he was going through watching Reservation Dogs and he's like, that that's the girl from that's Terry's assistant he's like oh my god that's Jana she's like a nurse you know and like he was like really shocked at like the range of these native actors and I'm like yeah we've been ready like we've been ready to go for so long like I can't imagine being in a situation where you would be like no you know <laughs> not that we could anyway because they're actors and they can do what they want I don't control them but I think it's just like that community and camaraderie I think is really it's a really good feeling 
Jana, you were amazing on both shows. I remember that IHS show came, or this <laughs> one episode came out, Reservation Dogs, and everybody's like, oh my God, I know that person. But then as <laughs> Regan, though, I know that person too, because that's me. So, you yeah. know, kind of talk about that contrast a little bit between those two characters. Yeah, I think... I'll say like as a, as a viewer, because I also consider myself a viewer of both of our shows. So uh, um, like, I, I feel like I see myself in a lot of our characters and a lot of, you know, the Res Dogs characters, but also like the, the Rutherford characters. And I, I love like playing Regan is so exciting for me because I get to connect through a character, through performing um, I get to connect with other indigenous women and like native women are the, are my personal, I don't know. They're just my favorite. Like we are my favorite. <laughs> I think that we are fucking good at what we do. We're so funny. We're so cool. Like we age so in a, in a, such a unique way and are so fucking good when we're older. Like we just like, we get better with age. We're, we're just rad. And you know, i there's so there's something really like moving for me as a performer to be able to play Regan somebody who's ambitious somebody who like is intelligent and who has a romantic life like things that even in my own life like I (laughs) I can't really like exercise it's like really fun to be able to do that stuff on screen um and then like being over being able to pop over uh to reservation dogs I won't spoil it, but there's like more to come from some of the, uh, you know, adult female characters on the show. And that is more of a, like an exercise in sort of like character acting. That's, and that was like for the long time when I first started, um, you know, doing comedy consistently, live comedy consistently, sketch comedy in New York, I was doing a lot of like deep characters and, um, and I found my joy there. Like that's the kind, that was sort of like what I loved to do. And I, I wrote for myself and I gave myself different, um, you know, very specific weird characters to play. And so getting to do that over on reservation dogs is like really a joy. And (laughs) yeah. And it's, and it's, uh, you know, it's just a, a, a delight like Sierra said to be able to to stretch a little bit and to like I never once I was doing Rutherford I was like this is such a huge gig for me like I can't imagine like that it can get better than this but now I'm seeing that like okay like we trust each other in this community like we can see each other we see each other in a different way we see that like we have range whereas I think in an in another system in maybe a non-native system people would see me playing Regan and that's the kind of parts that I maybe would be getting from here on out are, are Regan's kind of nerdy, like go, go get her kind of ladies. But like, <laughs> there's more to me that like I am and, and, and I can do. And so it's fun to understand that about our community, that we are pushing each other in, in a way that I don't think other people would. It's yeah, awesome. and really showing the diversity. I mean, yeah. I mean, we're... same with Michael, Gray Eyes, you know, like he would never have gotten cast in a comedy, but he's so good at it. Like he's so, so funny. funny. Noetta and I yeah. actually got to meet him in Tulsa when yeah. he was screening Woman Walks Ahead. And he was just yeah. so gracious, so nice, and it's had so some of the best see. stories. Yeah, it's so great to it's see the him best. on the small screen too. So yeah. So uh, talking about range, you know, uh, outside of the show, 
you know, we get to be ourselves. We get to be a little bit rugged and take away any chances from <laughs> other shows. Um, you know, the, the Adirondack episode was one of my favorites. It's a lot of people's favorites. So how does that feel to be mentioned? Again, <laughs> being the reason that, that other show didn't get an Emmy. <laughs> I've never heard of that show, so I don't even know. Like, I've never, what are you talking about? I'm not well versed in that show at all, so I don't really know. Um, not really a drama. No, we, we had to. Yeah, no, it, it made me so amused. It was the funniest thing that's happened to me in 2022. And it, this, for those who don't know, there was a Deadline article when Yellowstone did not get any Emmy nominations. Um, that we were one of the reasons why that our <laughs> show making fun of those types of dramas um, was one of the reasons why. And it, it was better than being nominated for an Emmy. Cause I was like, <laughs> cause we weren't, we're not in contention. We, our show premiered after the due dates, but I was like, if you get nominated for an Emmy, you have to like buy a dress and you have to get your hair done <laughs> and you have to like worry if you're going to win or not. I was like, I don't do any of that. I just got to lay in my sweatpants and like watch Twitter blow up about it. And the memes, all the memes people were making. And it was so, it was like, the, it was the funnest day I've ever had on the internet, which is really saying yeah. something. <laughs> but Jana co-wrote that episode and freaking knocked it out of the park so I'm so curious how you feel how your writing ruined Kevin Costner's life uh, uh, God. <laughs> As there was just a New York Times article about it today that Tessie Marie Cottom wrote um and it's an opinion column at New York Times and the and the headline is a big TV hit is a conservative fantasy liberals should watch. And it doesn't mention our show, but so many people have sent this article to me today. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, because it kind of is ripping on Yellowstone for being a bit of like, for, for its viewership being like heavily conservative. And that even though it sort of tries to espouse these, like, you know, commentary about environmentalism and like you know indigenous people perhaps on the show that like it doesn't do it it does it so earnestly that it is it, not doing any service to indigenous people and and that was sort of like the point of writing you know um the episode uh, Adirondack season three is that like we watch at, we watch Yellowstone. Like people in our communities love Yellowstone. Oh, love love Yellowstone. <laughs> I had cousins talking about that premiere, and I was like, you know, I have a show, right? I see you posting <laughs> on Facebook. I also have a show, and she's like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll post on that too. It's like we love. I mean, they yeah, our people love that show. Even also like making Adirondack because you know on the show it's a show within a show so we had to make Adirondack we had to like actually write and and shoot scenes in the style of sort of a contemporary western and you know and even like the crew like on the days that we had these uh, Yellowstone scenes the crew was loving it they were having so <laughs> they, were, they were embarrassed but they were like i would watch a show i would be like me and my wife would be like are we gonna do it yeah okay and then like binge the crap out of it and i was like i don't want to that was our running joke was we were so afraid peacock was gonna call and be like we're picking up adirondack as a backdoor pilot getting a season three but adirondack is getting a season one. <laughs> <laughs> three season pickup for adirondack we we're just like that's a nightmare <laughs> Oh yeah, that was a fun a fun episode to shoot because also you know we just got to work with so many p different folks and you know 
yeah, there's, there's so much to be said about sort of the way our industry is changing, you know, with the power of an indigenous pen, like you can really like sort of make some deep commentary about your own positionality in an industry and like and to for it to make any kind of impact at all like I was like oh people will like the episode but like who cares Taylor Sheridan's making millions and he doesn't give a shit about us I mean I don't think he cares um but then like there's so there were so many articles about how they didn't win an Emmy a nom and it was just like wow maybe he cares <laughs> <laughs> So, so how how did you get Sharice Davids to make yeah. a cameo on that? We reached out to her people. She's really funny. She's like a really funny uh, person. And like our, we have this amazing producer, Morgan Sackett. And he was like, he went out to her people and, and, you know, it's very dicey because as a politician, you have to be really careful about what you say. So, so we sent her like a bunch of different alt versions of that, of whatever the thing was. It was like, we had like all kinds of random Easter eggy. I think we landed on Pocahontas smoking a blunt or something. I don't remember what we ended up with, but like we had a bunch of different versions of like a people. Bundle. It's 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 Pocahontas <laughs> yeah, on, on a buffalo on a buffalo smoking a. But sage she bundle. added her own thing, like when she does the quotes with like woo woo, like that was her. Yeah. Like we didn't tell her to do that. Like she did a lot of stuff to it that I was like, oh my god, she's funny. So <laughs> she wants to give that politics, kick that to her. She could be a. <laughs> comedy queen but um but yeah no we just went out to her and she, I, we were like there's no way we'll get her we had like alt versions written for people we thought we could maybe get and she was like no I'll do it I was like that's amazing that was amazing awesome I mean there's so many native women baddies in this show including Feather Day and let me see if I can say this right Day. kind of deal porn yes say it right okay uh but she she came out and I was scared <laughs> I was so I mean, how do you how do you come up with somebody who's that powerful just by just with a look, you know, writing her? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And who is your personal feather day? Oh my goodness. Well, I mean, Gunny Horn, I've loved forever. She was in this amazing short film by Jeff Barnaby called The Colony, which came out I think like 10-ish years ago. And she was so good. And and I remember just thinking like she is a star. And and then to see her as Dear Woman, obviously, and Unres Dogs and stuff. And and we'd always kind of been DMing and, and she's also really, really funny. She's just like genuinely funny. And so um, we talked a lot about like off of the Adirondack stuff, you know, that we're not a monolith, that there's all different types of, of native people. We don't all have the same political views. We don't have the same stuff. And then also kind of coincided with the conversation of like who could take down Terry because in season one, he's so unflappable and he's so in control um, the whole season and we were like, well, it would have to be a native woman. Like if he <laughs> had like a nemesis that you would believe could actually um, threaten him and, and they play off so well together. And so we kind of thought of this sort of like, not necessarily semi-conservative, but also kind of like real housewife, just like someone who just has blind ambition and is very, um, we paint Regan as this person who's like, her ambition is kind of like a rental car. Like she, she has it, but she's still trying figuring out how to use it. And like, where are the wipers? And you know, where this is a woman who just is from, day one knows who she is and kind of goes in and just expects everyone to kind of fall in line and and is unflappable and we were like oh like Dia would kill that and so it was so great that that she she did 
loved her in that role. I, I hope to see more of her really, really soon. So. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, we want to know the backstory between her and Terry's wife. <laughs> well, I think it was like Tazo was talking about because during the pandemic, you know, every, a lot of people went home for a while and she went to this like kind of um gym on her res and she was like it was like not fancy but she was like it was the heart you know coming from LA she was like it's the hardest workout I've ever done it's just like basic calisthenics and and we were like oh that sounds like Terry's wife like I could totally see her with and I just watched a lot of that show physical which is like an um exercise uh show set in the 80s and I was like, I could totally see Kimberly Guerrero in this like 80s Barbie, like <laughs> aerobics get up and like her having that kind of gym on the res. And then we were like, this girl would be like in town CrossFit. I think her name was supposed to be Feather CrossFit. Remember? It was like, <laughs> but we couldn't get the, the, um, legally we couldn't use CrossFit because I guess it's like a business or whatever. And it's so then we crossed cross. Feather Cross and she had her own CrossFit gym. So everyone <laughs> yeah, called her so Feather CrossFit. CrossFit. Feather CrossFit. <laughs> so, but then we ended up having to change the name. But once we had like kind of CrossFit and like new gym, new, like sleek, we were like, okay, like we could totally see that these two sort of powerhouse women like never liked each other. And also, I also feel like in small towns, they'll be like, you'll have a fight at a gas station and it becomes like Hatfield and McCoy's out of nowhere. And it's like that family never spoke to that family again. And like, I always liked that in small towns where you're like, so it was a roommate issue. And it's like, no, it's like <laughs> dynasty. It's this huge deal, you know? And so we always thought it would be funny if they had this lifelong rivalry, but it's like really a small business problem. Well, and now their kids are Romeo and Juliet. I know <laughs> they're so in love. <laughs> And now you've got what two love triangles. So are we looking at maybe practice for an actual rom-com movie? Would that be something that I mean, you'd be interested in doing? That's my dream. I feel like Jenna's less sold on that dream. I love a rom-com. <laughs> I want to be like Navajo Nora Efron, but Jenna's always like <laughs> less sold on these storylines. But I, I mean, I wanted to see like native romance. That was like a big thing. I think the whole room wanted to see where like usually native romance is like he's in prison and she's got you know riddled with something and it's like so depressing and it ends with like their hands barely touching and then the credits roll and I was like, can we just have like fun and romance and because I know a lot of happy native couples, you know, and we were like, what would that look like? Who would be the woman? like who would be the guy that Regan falls for the native guy and, and how would that happen? And, and so we had so much fun with Dallas's character, Nelson, but even when we premiered stuff on Twitter, like he's got a baby on the side. And I was like, what happened to us as I a know. culture that like, he's just a good dude. And everyone started putting, like everyone thought at the end when he's in the hospital, they're like, his baby's being born. And I was like, what are we doing? <laughs> we can have nice things. <laughs> yes we can have nice things and it is good to see native <laughs> love on on this show uh regan was it difficult moving into that that type of relationship with uh, with josh and nelson you know is, is there like a intimacy coach or anything on set that that kind of helps with those scenes yeah any oh, yeah. um any any um intimacy scenes um requires an intimacy coach or intimacy um coordinator um now in the industry which I think is a great uh addition great. to the industry I, I can't imagine like 
having to like improvise it. <laughs> um, you know, as a person who's not a lover of rom-coms and just like had never, I've never like mentally or emotionally prepared myself to do romance scenes. I've always just been like the goofy, like funny chubby friend in everything that I've like um, written for myself. Like I've never like played the lead character in my life. So uh, I, I never thought I would have to like do those kinds of scenes. So I am, I was delighted to know that there's somebody who talks you through what it's going to do, what it's going to be like, and they're there. You can stop at any point if you're uncomfortable. Of course, I would never was, but like, you know, <laughs> and, and like Dustin and Dallas are like so professional and, and just my buds, like we're friends off camera. So that helps too, to like, you know, just have a rapport with them and but it, I mean, yeah, so it was intimidating, but like there's, you know, I think the ease with which we can like uh, just be friends off screen, it helps with like the chemistry on screen. And yeah, I'm sure it was a pain. In, I was probably a, such a pain in the ass to direct in those episodes, like just being, Hannah, get caught, stop being so, you're not, you're not even doing it. <laughs> <laughs> well it's funny you're making romance but it's so sterile because you're like you've told the coordinator what you want then they yeah. call the actor so you don't even talk to the actor about it if the actor doesn't want to do certain things they tell the coordinator who tells us so it's all decided before you even get on set and then if yeah. you have a change like hey would you mind putting your hand on her shoulder like you just go through the coordinator and I like it because I like I don't all comedians are kind of awkward so I can't imagine like trying to talk to the actor about it and then and it's also too it's like a it's like a you know 14 and up show so it's not anything so we're not HBO like I can't imagine doing that on those HBO shows where you have to really be detailed and stuff but um and also with COVID like we had to be really judicious on like kissing and things like that because of all the testing and stuff so we were um I think it just like it reads as romantic and that's like the, the best part of it especially because I think too like Native women rarely get romance, you know, and especially like, it's just, I don't know, even like in stuff that's Native made, it's mostly male focused. And so to have something where, where Jana is the focus, I think is like really exciting. So for the next season, is there somebody that you, like your dream cast? Is there somebody that hasn't been on the show that you're dying to get on the show? Tantu Cardinal. Yes. Because we've tried a couple of times and she said no due to like COVID or the role was big enough and things. And I totally respect it. And I feel like your native thing doesn't exist unless Tantu Cardinal's in it. <laughs> it's like all the big <laughs> things I've had her in it. So I'm like, I'm coming for you, Tantu. Um, and then Wes Duty, like, obviously I just love him and, and um, have programmed stuff with him in it and done Q and A's with him. And I just think he's just so um, rom-com ready. I think he's just the best. So uh, those would be mine. What about you, Jana? I mean, I would love to get Zahn over. Um, I want Gary back. We had him for you yeah. know one episode in season one, but like uh, he was so busy because he was doing Resident Alien uh, and Res Dogs yeah. and like flying to Canada. It was just like yeah, yeah. He's a, a hot commodity. So um, yeah, I would. I don't know. I, I think that there's like a. I think there's just so. There's so many people. I want to get uh, Tanya Joe Hall on our show. Like, I think yes, Tanya oh, Joe awesome. fit well into our world. Um, so, knock on wood, we get a season three. We get an opportunity to just yeah. cram keep cramming everybody in. 
But Janice, you said that you wrote a lot of your own characters when you were in New York. Were there any people that inspired you? Like, what is it? Upright Citizens Brigade or anything like that, that you just soaked in while you were in New York? Yeah, I performed a lot at, at UCB and another theater that is like a sister theater to Upright Citizens Brigade called the Magnet Theater. Um, that's where I took a lot of my classes and did a lot of my performing. Yeah, I was really influenced early on by like a lot of, um, you know, 1990s SNL. I was a big Chris Farley girl, um, still am. And a lot of men, honestly, like I, I just didn't see until sort of like uh, Amy Sedaris, like, uh, you know, that era, even before Tina and Amy, I was like, really into like Rosie O'Donnell. <laughs> like, you know, uh, I was, I yeah, I just, I was constantly craving feminine role models. And, and especially in comedy, when I was studying comedy and performing a lot of live comedy, I was really craving feminine role models that I could talk to, that I could actually access. And I never could. I never got that opportunity. It's really, for better or worse, like a lot of my comedy was early on was informed by men. But now that I'm, I am where I am, like I really have taught, I've, I've learned through sort of doing that, you know, one way that I'm sure marginalized, a lot of marginalized people have to do this, uh, to like be inspired or motivated or to feel like you're part of sort of a collective is to look to your left and right and look around you at your same level. And so I'm constantly, you know, I, I see Sierra as a role model. I see my friend Tazba as a role model. I see Ganya Diahorn as a role model. Like these are people who have been doing, you know, each of us individually on our own grind for years and years and years. And like are now at a point where we can work together and bringing our own talents and skills to um, the same projects. And like, so I have garnered so much strength, especially in the last two years from other um, Native women in this industry um, who are just fucking like kicking down doors. And I mean, Amber Midthunder, come on. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, there's so much to be said for the power that is Indigenous femininity and like the, the way, the roles that we're playing, you know, in front of and behind the camera right now. So yeah, I, I think that my current in, in influences... <laughs> are my friends. <laughs> That's awesome. So this season, you guys have really ramped up the physical comedy. It was, was that a huge, I mean, did that really put you outside of your comfort zone or is that something you've always wanted to try? Always wanted. Yeah. I, I constantly am yeah. kind for it. I will say this. Jana is an incredible physical comedian. She just is like, I have worked in TV for 12 years. And if you ever write something physical, specifically for, for, for like certain characters, you're like, Oh God, we're going to be here all day and get seven sets of clothes. And this is, it. and she nailed it in one take. She just really like, and you're like, Oh my God, like, did we get that on film? Like she does it so well. She's like so in tune with her body. And I just love, so it wasn't like a big deal to, and then Ed has like done everything. Like he was in the hangover movies and pulled a tooth out of his mouth to like make people laugh. <laughs> So you really have these two people who are really willing to kind of just do anything to, to show their, their humor. And so it's so much fun watching like the Halloween episode, everyone in these insane costumes, Jana getting kicked in the face. She <laughs> nailed it from two different angles. And even the stunt coordinator, cause they had a stunt woman there in case we needed her. And he was like, so cheering her on. He was like your dad. He was like, yes, Jana. 
she's so good. Like he was like so proud of her, like genuinely like paternally proud of her. It was my favorite day on set. <laughs> well, I did see you practicing your rolling and throwing yes, move on Instagram. <laughs> on Instagram for the next prey. Yeah. You gotta know that we were all doing that after watching. Right? Like, I want to you really, but she looked like an action star. Like if I did it, I'd never get off the bed. Like Jenna yeah. actually looked cool doing it. Exactly. <laughs> not even. Not even. You're like that's the best part about it. I do not look like an action. No, star. but your little giggle. You're like so proud of yourself. It's my favorite thing. <laughs> Truly, like, what what are we doing with this this life if we're not like <laughs> doing the practicing the moves? Like, I just want to I want to be uh, Chris Farley's Matt Foley in the living room and like crash onto a coffee table. <laughs> I will do that for laughter. Like, that's how thirsty I am to invoke <laughs> laughter from people. <laughs> I do have a question about the Halloween episode. The the character who was the MMA fighter. Is she really an MMA fighter? No, no, no. it was just, okay. it was a, no, no, no. Yeah, no, we, <laughs> we have um, like cultural consultants and stuff talking about it and just talking in the room. We were like, oh, MMA is so big, you know, in Native communities and stuff. So we were like, what would be the scariest? And we just like the idea of like Regan not knowing what her thing was and then finding out it's, you know, the ability to kick her in the face. We just thought <laughs> it would be really funny. <laughs> Oh my goodness. And the costumes were great, by the way. And I did pick costumes you out. Costumes were so here. good. I saw you. I, I picked you out in that episode. So I saw you out there. In the yeah. hallway? Yeah. Yeah. You Where was I? At least once. I was like, there's Sierra. Oh, <laughs> You're back in the back I dancing, I think. Of course, Isn't you that... know, I'm also looking in the background too. I was I in the beating that. circle, but I don't, th- I, I ended up not being in the Halloween episode because I had this like space girl up like costume. Yeah. And then I was like, what am I doing? I have to watch, like, there were so many speaking roles, like so many camera moves. I was like, get me out of the space suit so I can actually show run the show. But it was so fun. Like um, <laughs> a lot of the writers we had on set immediately put on costumes. It was just the most fun day in terms of that. Cause it was like, you wanted to just, and we had so many like native specific costumes. There were like two Willie Jacks. There was a Thomas and Victor. There was like all these hidden costumes that I was very proud of. Because we love Halloween we do i think that was the thing was like when we pitched it a lot of the white writers were like isn't halloween like the the worst holiday and i was like here's the thing some native people hate halloween and then i was like and some native people love halloween it's like the best day of the year and i remember asking remember jana i was like what do you think of halloween she's like it's it's fine and i was like see that's jana i was like that's Lincoln. and then nelson will be the guy super into halloween because one of our writers tyler claire he just freaking loves halloween so much and in his community in uh Ganawage, it, it's like it's crazy it's like a it's it's like people's yards it's it's like a film production in terms of like how hard they go on halloween so we're about to run out of time i want to ask really quickly what are you watching what are you binging what are you reading right now what are you consuming give us some recommendations um reading remember reading <laughs> um you know, I've been I reading some very dark <laughs> post-apocalyptic stuff lately. I go oh. hard. I go hard into drama. Like when I'm not doing comedy, my viewing experience is always super dark. <laughs> I don't know why, but I've just got I've just finished reading um Parable of the Sower and Parable of the Talents by Octavia Butler. And I actually didn't read them. I listened to them, which is the same okay, as reading. Listening. 
if listening yeah. counts and I have been listening to yes stuff. yes yeah. it yeah. counts I listen and um, read yeah. and I'm watching I'll, I'll say this I'm watching the rehearsal on HBO Max it's uh, Nathan Fielder it's wild very funny very, safe. yeah I'm gonna check it out um I'm watching Reservation Dogs of course um right. I'm watching I'm watching I'm watching a lot of Adam Sandler movies I don't know why um I saw this thing on TikTok where there's like Latino families are having Adam Sandler parties where you go as your favorite Adam Sandler character and I was like god that dude has made a bunch of movies and so I've been watching a lot of good and bad Adam Sandler movies and then um I listened to Danny Trejo's book which is awesome his story is like amazing and like inspirational and he is like won and lost like 14 times and that's a it's just a great it's a good beaten book Jana all right I will. I will listen. I am always looking down for content for beating. Okay, I have one last question. Just this is, has to do with season two, maybe even season three. Terry and Renee's dance, the dirty dancing scene. Just kind of wonder if you guys are thinking maybe a musical episode for oh. dancing and singing. Yes. We definitely thought about it. Jana and Ed, who both sing, have pitched it many, many times. Oh. One uh, <laughs> love. Season one, remember Jenna brought in a karaoke mic to the room, and there was like a whole day where we didn't do anything except watch them sing, and it was so much fun. <laughs> Jenna has a great voice, and so does Ed. And um, then, and then the next day, we had to go home for COVID, and I left my damn karaoke mic in the oh, office, no. and I never saw it again. Oh no! <laughs> it was it was early yeah, pandemic, and, and people were like, "Should we be sharing a karaoke mic?" And I was like, "Whatever, who cares." <laughs> that's awesome yeah we would love to do it i think we would definitely watch that yeah if you need us to tweet about it or whatever let us know we'll start a campaign (laughs) rutherford falls musical i'm for it (laughs) well thank you so much for spending time with us we really appreciate it is there are there any bits of wisdom that you want to drop before we say bye no, just thank you so much for having us on here and for supporting the show and, and for asking us actually really cogent questions about the show. I feel like with a lot of non-native journalists, we get really boring, the same seven questions. So these was like really wonderful conversations. So thank you so much. And I hope people will watch. We're streaming all episodes on Peacock and I hope people enjoy. Same. Friday. Thank you so much. It's so good to see you again, Sierra. And it's so good to meet you, Dana. Good to see you. So good to meet you both. Kiana Park. See you on the small screen. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, you guys. Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Same Indigenous time, same Indigenous channel. And remember, don't just keep it real. Keep it real Indigenous. Indigenous.